and a lot of mental health conditions such as borderline personality disorder, anxiety, some of these conditions are learned. They're not biological. You can prevent a lot of those pre-existing conditions in terms of mental health just by modifying how you're portraying behaviors to your child. I'm Leon Guidry, and this is the Brother Be Well podcast, sponsored by Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative. Today, we're addressing trauma and healing with an emphasis on boys and men of color. It's about to get real with our hosts, experts, and guests. Gather around, y'all. Hi, I'm Michael P. Coleman, content director for Brother Be Well. Today, in one of a series of Brother Be Well conversations in our Parents and Caregiver series, made possible by the support of Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative, we're covering strategies for identifying behaviors in our children that might be signs of serious mental health conditions. Our partner for this conversation is the name you know, marriage and family therapist and Brother Be Well clinical advisor, Christian Jacobs. Christian, welcome back to Brother Be Well. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me back. Really good to have you. Let's jump right into this one, man. You know, noticing behaviors that may foretell a mental health issue and understanding mental health among people of any age isn't easy. But we need to acknowledge that those behaviors can be particularly difficult to spot in children. Why is that, Christian? Well, you know, one of the biggest issues and why it's so difficult to spot mental health behaviors is their inability to identify with their feelings and express how they feel. That's the number one. That's the chief concern. Um, It's also difficult to spot because uh, most chalk up their behaviors as developmental, right? It's a a phase or it's a a growth spurt they're going through. Oh, they're just going through the terrible twos, right? There's a term for it already. Or um, they stay in the room all day because that's what teens do. You know, so there's all these preconceived notions of uh, blaming blaming on the developmental stage, Um, but you know, it's funny because but someone in the family has to be has to really be the one to say like, um, I think they need to be assessed, or we need to check them out on, or see what's going on. There's probably something else going on to make sure everything's okay. That's that second reassurance, you know. But there are many uh, mental health conditions that are prominent. Some that just jump out at you. They just, they just hopefully, if you're able to recognize the signs, they jump out at you. Um, I wouldn't say they're easy to spot. Um, but prominent, um, but very prominent symptomology-wise, meaning the symptoms are there. It's really heavy what you see. Um, there's also a cultural component too. Uh, sometimes all the signs are there um, that a child is autistic, right? All the signs are there. Um, um, oh, he's just a shy one. That's what they'll say culturally. In a lot of cultures they'll say, you know, he's a shy one or he's a quiet one in the family. When in reality, he's he's on the spectrum and he never was assessed. So, uh, so the first step as parents. You know, a community and family is learning what mental health conditions are more prominent in the childhood um, and also children of color, too. So that's one of the main things I would say about that. Well, you're talking about mental health conditions. So let's get right into that, sir. What are some of the more common mental health conditions that parents and caregivers need to be on the lookout for? Well, you know, Michael, during this time with COVID, you know, hidden families, you know, as hard as it did, experiencing financial stress. You know, with schools and, you know, school shootings happening and, you know, um, as you probably already know, youth suicide is on the rise. Um, The percentages have gone up um, incrementally in terms of uh, youth suicide and race-based trauma and stress uh, that's occurring right now. And also the adaptation of youth transitioning from that home learning environment, you know, into the class. In those classrooms, you know, parents should be on the lookout for really signs of um, kind of breaking down in, in two different areas. For, you know, parents, right? So you're looking for that acute stress disorder. 
acute stress disorder is a short period of time where, you know, um, where they, they've experienced PTSD symptoms, you know, um, whether that's hearing it, witnessing an issue, or experiencing it. There's three different categories of PTSD and acute trauma. This doesn't have to happen to you directly. You can be, you can, it can be like a word of mouth, someone telling you something, or you seeing it yourself. So that's something that's really, I want to clear that misconception up. Also race-based trauma. So some of the race-based issues that may come up, you know, people being discriminated upon based on, you know, how they look or, you know, being LGBTQIS, you know, or, you know, being treated. Uh, most, a lot of the trans youth are experiencing a lot of this issue. You know, um, also depression, anxiety, you know, some of these conditions that have happened, you know, being in the home or um, not being able to engage in their, uh, their youth activity sports, something that's really been an outlet for them. Also, oppositional defiant disorder, which is something where a child has an issue with um, authority. So they have an issue, you know, listening to authority figures. So that may be something that's really prominent in the school setting um, that a lot of uh, teachers see. And also learning disorders, too. So this may be due uh, from uh, being removed from a learning environment for so long. So they've been out of school for so long that now they're being put in this structured environment and being told to learn. So these are some of the things that may pop up. Um, that we're seeing in schools and, and also in private practice and, you know, these public health practices in the county. Um, but for caregivers in particular, I want to say that foster parents, you know, they should be on the lookout for those conditions. But in addition to these are more related to uh, foster children um, and caregivers, you know, uh, grandparents who uh, or co-parenting situations where a child is going back and forth to different homes or reactive attachment disorder, which is really a consistent pattern of, um, of um, being emotionally withdrawn, so that's toward a caregiver. So they don't um, they don't need anything, you know. They, they don't they don't reach out and say, "Hey, I need a toothbrush." Hey, I need new clothes. Um, hey, I'm hungry. So reactive attachment disorder um, is one of the prominent ones too. Separation anxiety basically is one of um, this happens with the little ones more often, where you know you, you may see this all the time, where you know they're dropping them off at kindergarten and they're holding on to mommy's leg, daddy's leg. You know that's separation anxiety. Um, when it happens for a long period of time over uh, uh, over uh, two to four weeks, social anxiety and also um, social um, dis um, disinhibition or disorder too. That's one of the big ones because they have no inhibitions. They'll go to anyone. They'll run off to any uh, person they see. Adult. That's not safe either. So those are some of the main symptoms and uh, disorders that you may see right now. And that's quite a list of disorders, Christian. So help us, help us, uh, all of our parents and caregivers get at what those behaviors, those concrete behaviors that we should be vigilant about looking for that might foretell that one of those those conditions is, is present. What are some of those specific behaviors that we need to look oh, for? Oh, sure. Uh, sure. You know, I think it really depends on the age. So from zero to five, right, that the, the early childhood developmental stage, you want to pay attention to how the child is thriving. You know, um, you know, that that little infant that you see, I'm, I'm starting from zero. <laughs> are they cooing? You know, are they making eye contact? You know, uh, in the toddler years, are they verbal? Are they starting to put words together? Are they starting to, you know, talk a little bit? Um, are they having outbursts? Here's some of the signs you want to look for. Um, some of the assessments that are going on in your mind. You know, um, how frequent are their outbursts? How often do they happen? In the adolescent years, pay attention to their self-talk. You know, how are they talking to themselves? Um, what does their social interactions look like? Do they have any friends? Are they hanging out with people? Or are they kind of isolating and talking negative about being in social circles? Um, are they socially appropriate uh, around other peers? That's another big one. You know, um, what I mean by that, do they respect other um, 
their their peers, they respect respect their space. You know, are they aware of the words or behaviors and emotions that are harmful to others? These are also early signs that people look into in terms of um, autism. You know, do they talk down on themselves a lot? Um, Are they negative? Uh, Some other ones are just a few indicators. Um, There's many more. And um, radars for parents to use when assessing their child. These are some of the radars uh, that you want to put on your tool belt. Also, pay attention to the change of behaviors in the school, home, and social settings. You know, so once they, um, for example, one time they may have been a straight-A student, all of a sudden they're failing all their classes. Um, something else to be um, really vigilant about is somatic issues, you know, physical symptoms, you know, uh, such as weight loss, significant weight loss or weight gain or not sleeping or, you know, talking about self-harming, you know, picking their skin or pulling their hair out. These are some of the symptoms that you see um, as a um, that what a child is going through those some early mental health conditions. It seems to me, Kristen, and, and I, I'm trying to sort of um, connect the dots a little bit in, in, in what the information you just gave us. But I heard the word change come up quite a lot. And I'm also thinking about you said weight loss or weight gain. Again, that's a change in, in the standard weight of, of a child that we might be thinking about. Is it safe to say that if there's a significant, um, maybe abrupt change in any behavior, because you got to take personality into account, if there's a shift in the change of behavior, that may be a sign that something's going on. Um, absolutely. You know, uh, there, whether it's mental health related or not, there's something happening, right? And as parents, you know, uh, we have to be you know, concerned about any change that's going on significantly. So one thing that will help parents and caregivers as well is reading up on the stages of early childhood development and those common behaviors at each stage or attending uh, some parenting classes that will help understand this process. Um, there's a light, um, there's a light reading out there on this topic. And when I, when people hear parenting classes, they automatically think, Oh, I'm a bad parent and parenting classes aren't for bad parents. They're for parents who want to get better at parenting. So, you know, just because you're taking these classes or, you know, you decide to enroll yourself in some of those things doesn't mean you're a bad parent. Um, this will also come in handy when a parent is trying to determine if there's a particular behavior um, is it typical in, in development or, you know, a teen spending more, you know, time, you know, with their friends and they're withdrawn from their family, you know, uh, or something to be concerned about. But when you understand the early childhood development, it will kind of make more sense to you that this is typical for a teenager to, you know, withdraw from their family a little more and want to hang out with their friends, you know. Um, but regardless of its normal, you know, childhood development or signs of a mental health condition, a parent should always stay vigilant and observe, you know, patterns and behaviors because, Ignoring or not or, or uh, not meeting or disregarding those behaviors can really lead to uh, other mental health conditions. I love the, the the point that you just made, Christian, about parenting classes. It's not for bad parents; it's for parents that want to be better. Uh, I've got a feeling anybody listening to this or watching this, you're already on the right track. You wouldn't be watching this video if you didn't want to do better. And that's not to say you're doing a bad job, but but. Those resources are designed to help you get even better. So I really appreciate that. Let's take a look at those warning signs. Let's go a little bit deeper, Christian. So a parent or caregiver notices a warning sign or two. What does he or she do? The first thing you would do, you know, is really you want to go into observation mode, right? Um, As parents, sometimes you want to go into crime detective mode, right? But you want to be vigilant to make sure you're going into that observation mode, Uh, Crying detective mode causes children sometimes to become defensive and they shut down. So observation mode is paying attention to those behaviors that um, have changes significantly, you know, those significant changes. Uh, And also, this is actually, I should have said this one first. 
is model the appropriate behavior that you want to see. You know, oftentimes depression in children uh, shows up as anger, you know, moodiness and like, attitude, you know, um, because they don't know how to express their feelings at, this, at that time. So when their voice rises, keep yours low. They just keep going up. You keep yours at a certain level. At that same level, you're modeling the behavior you want them to see. As hard as it may be to raise your voice, say, don't you talk back to me. Don't talk loud to me. You keep your voice at the same level as they keep going up. And it cognitively does something to them. Um, try to establish a way to communicate, you know, in natural, relaxed settings. And then and then discuss what you've observed about their change of behavior. Hey, I noticed that, you know, you um, don't go out and ride your skateboard as much. Observations, you know, are helpful. Also, know what behaviors are mild, moderate, and severe. So you want to observe self-inflicting injuries such as um, these are some more severe, such as um, um, excessive hair pulling, you know, skin picking, um, intermittent outbursts. So they're having outbursts throughout the day over something very small, uh, self-defeating talk about their self, uh, suicidal talk. Um, these are some things that you really want to seek a mental health professional immediately when you see these things. I'm curious, Christian, um, you see the signs, you talk to medical professionals, you seek a mental health professional. I'm curious, and I'd imagine a lot of other people are going to be too, how do mental health professionals diagnose uh, mental, mental health conditions in children? How's that, how's that happen? Well, there's several, there's, um, there's one model, but there's several different avenues, right? So healthcare professionals take into consideration uh, several factors. It's a biopsychosocial. Your, the, the, the biological factor of how they're made up physically, psycho, um, psychologically, cognitively in their mind, how they're made up, and socially, what's going on in their world, in their home, in their, their community, their, their, their uh, social setting. So um, so at home, you're looking at all those things in school and then, you know, in their personal life and their friends, in addition to what the parents are saying, you know, so you're taking in all that information. The child is also assessed by using an assessment to rate a, a score or severity of symptoms. So this can be done through some of the um, uh, some of the batteries that they have, some of the uh, tests testing that they have, it can be a, a questionnaire, it could be um, an assessment, it could be fifty questions, um, but they all differ based on the conditions and the symptoms that are being reported. Uh, once all this information is collected, right, so you get all this information, um, then what we'll do, we'll use a diagnostic um, statistical manual, which is called the DSM four, um, which is moving to DSM five um, pretty soon. Uh, what you want to do is see if their symptoms uh, match the, diagno uh, the diagnostic criteria. So the, the, the criteria is based on the severity of symptoms. So that re uh, that's including the length and the duration, the frequency, uh, how much it impacts their daily functioning. So it's, it's basically a holistic approach that you want to look at, that you're looking at on how they're functioning. And then you, uh, you basically come up with a diagnosis and the conditions that uh, best match the criteria in the DSM. I love these conversations, Christian. There's a science behind it and people don't need to be afraid. I know when you're dealing with your children or a loved one, you, you're protective, right? You don't want to necessarily turn them over to a system that you don't understand. So that's why I think these conversations are really important. I appreciate you helping to break that down for our, for our viewers and listeners. We've got a whole separate video here at Brother Be Well on how we go about talking with the kids that we're talking about, how we talk to them about mental health. So check out that video. We've got a whole conversation on it. But for the sake of this conversation, Christian, can you briefly summarize how we include children in talks about their own mental health? Well, you know, I, I'd say, Michael, the first step you I would recommend is really establishing that foundation and environment where it's okay to talk about feelings 
And as you hear, again, you hear a theme, right? Where you're starting while they're young, you're starting while they're young. There's different things you can do as while they're young, you know, from that age of zero up to their, you know, the, their teen and the young adult years. So um, incorporate things to spark the conversation. You know, you ins- incorporate things that they um, that they like and they enjoy. One thing, one um, example I like to give parents is the Disney movie Inside Out. Um, it's a really good movie that really talks about its animation. Talks about emotions and feelings, what's happening on the inside and how it comes out. Um, watching that movie and having a conversation about it afterwards, you know, that right there is a mental health talk and you're involving them in a mental health conversation. Um, we involve them by teaching them how to express their feelings, you know, exercises and books that are easy to read. You know, one exercise um, to have a feelings chart in the home. So a lot of, um, I encourage a lot of families to, uh, who, who experience um, children who have mood disorders and uh, challenges regulating their emotions, to have a feelings chart in the living room. Now have it somewhere out in the open where families spend time um, and this chart shows facial expressions and they can point to how they're feeling when they don't have the words to say it. So, you know, they, they may be not burst on the couch. You, you know, you, you teach them, you know, explain to me, tell me, how are you feeling right now? Show me on the chart. And they can point to it. No words required, right? Um, continue to ask them um, process questions such as how did that make you feel? So now you're forcing them to process their emotions and their feelings. Um, so wording is very important as well. And um, ask questions in the right manner. That's very important. It's not uh, what you're asked, but it's really how you ask it, such as I observed that you stay in your room most of the day and you don't ride your bike as much versus saying, what's going on with you? You don't ride your bike anymore. See, it's a difference. So it's an observation and it's really the detaching that experience with them versus blaming. What's wrong with you is a blaming. And, and, and shame comes with that versus I observe you're, you're, you're a bystander. You're on the outside looking in. They can disassociate um, that feeling from the experience. And they can also, I would think, feel free to disagree. If you've got that kind of, of conversation and they can, you can say, I observe that. And they could feel free to say, well, you're, you're drawing the wrong conclusion. I, I appreciate that, but that's not what's going on. And then through that process, you'll get a little more information about what might be going on. Oh, that's, I'm glad you said that, Michael, because you're absolutely right. Now you're, now you're having a, a positive feedback loop. So now you're, you can, get, you can uh, create accuracy in the, in the assessment that you're making with them. You know, so I'm glad you said that. That's what happens, Christian. You and I have been friends for about a year and a half. See, I'm learning from you. So I, I picked that up from a prior uh, well conversation. <laughs> Appreciate that. Appreciate that. If you would take a second before we, we, we have to get out of here, can you touch on two of the primary uh, ways in which mental health in children is treated, uh, psychotherapy and medication? Can you touch on those two? Yeah, in addition to therapy and medication, as you mentioned, you know, um, there, there's a there's there are several modalities in terms of treating mental health conditions with children, and um, and they're and they're treated through therapeutic behavior services. It's called TBS. It's usually like a, a medical service. So if you um, are receiving um, mental health services through medical, there's something called TBS services, and it's a more intensive service. So most therapy is like once a week, right? You go once a week see your counselor. For 50 minutes to an hour, you come back next week. Sometimes it's every two weeks. But TBS is more intensive services for children who are experiencing some severe mental health conditions that need to be seen more than once a week. So they may be seen three times a week. And this requires a multidisciplinary team. So you have rehab specialists, you have therapists, uh, doctors, psychiatrists uh, who create a treatment plan um, intended to treat the existing issue for at least a few times a week. So it's more intense. 
Um, this can include, here's some other ways, play therapy, which, by the way, has been proven to be the most effective form of treatment for children, um, music therapy, um, parent-child interactive therapy. We call it PCIT. This is a, this is a treatment modality for parents who don't... Um, uh, who, who aren't familiar with being a parent, right? So this happens a lot of time when a parent is incarcerated and now they're being reunited uh, with their child and they don't know how to be a parent. So what we do, we put them in a room and the parent has a microphone in their ear and there may be a, um, a window, a glass window where the child can't see us. And we're talking the parent through what to say to the child, how to interact with them, how to build rapport. And the child doesn't know we're talking to the parent through their ear. Um, there's also, a, this is this was, um, it got a, it got a bad rap back in the day, but it's gotten much better. But it's very, still not very common. Electroconvulsive therapy, uh, which is a procedure conducted by a doctor, actually, where small currents are passed through the brain to treat extreme cases of depression, mania, and extreme vegetative states. So, kind of um, allows the brain to uh, those neurons to start firing again in the brain. And it's done by a doctor under anesthesia. You mentioned you just giving me a great idea for another conversation because the minute you said. Uh, we used to call it, I think, colloquially, uh, electroshock therapy. And you're right. I, I remember some of that negative connotation. And if you're saying it, it got a bad rap, maybe we'll have a separate conversation on this platform about it, if you'd be open to that. Oh, most definitely. I feel like I'm always recruiting you for other conversations. Jason, so <laughs> don't, don't let me wear out my welcome here. Well, that's all good. No, that. no, that won't happen. <laughs> Let's do it, man. Let's do it, man. And before we run out of time today, um, I would imagine there's a parent, there's a caregiver listening in on this conversation or taking a look at this video and they've seen some of the behaviors you've outlined, they're scratching their head, they're going, hmm, I've seen some of that, maybe there's an issue. And they're wondering about how they're going to be able to help their child cope with mental illness. What are your recommendations for that parent or caregiver? You know, Michael, I would I would say, starting off, to reach out to your primary care doctor and request a mental health assessment. That's the First step, if you've already, as a parent and caregiver, has no, have noticed some of these signs and symptoms and you already have an idea, something may be going on, um, this will provide a good starting point, you know, as to what's going on with their with your child and if further professional uh, support is needed. So at the at the very least, at least they can receive that ACEs assessment. They can receive a, a PHQ, which is a, a health questionnaire a primary, uh, with your primary doctor. To, it's a question that they uh very simple questions that's done to uh, find out uh, how you've been, are you stressed out, um, uh, how much um, you've been dealing with in terms of anxiety or depression. Um, there's several different tests they can do that are very simple. Um, also, I would say to the parents to be a, to be an anchor and someone they can rely on, you know, being emotionally available and calm throughout the process. Um, so many, so many of, you know, children's mental health conditions are due to how parents regulate their self. And how the child um, is modeling how to handle stressful, stressful situations. They're watching you. And a lot of mental health conditions, such as borderline personality disorder, anxiety, some of these conditions are learned. They're not biological. They're not um, uh, hereditary. Some of them are learned by their environment. So you can prevent a lot of those um, pre-existing conditions in terms of mental health just by modifying and mod modeling how you're portraying um, behaviors to your child. And for parents, don't be afraid to sign up, you know, for those classes. You know, um, I said before, you know, um, you sign up for workshops and on how to be a better parent and parenting classes. You know, it doesn't mean you're a bad parent. You know, you're just learning more school, more uh, tools and skills to learn to be a better parent. 
Um, so those are some things I would recommendations I'll provide for any parent or caregiver. Christian, I cannot thank you enough. The, the phrase worth your weight in gold comes to me when I think about you. None of the work we're doing here at Brother Be Well would be possible without the help of clinicians like you. Thank you, sir. Christian Jacobs, marriage and family therapist and Brother Be Well clinical advisor. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Michael. I'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Take it easy. And I want to thank our sponsor for this particular uh, conversation. And in fact, the entire Parents and Caregiver series, that sponsor is Blue Shield of California and specifically their Blue Sky Initiative. That initiative boosts access to mental health support. You can learn all about it at bluesky.blueshieldca.com. That's bluesky.blueshieldca.com. Another website I'll tell you about, keep it in mind too, brotherbewell.com. This video and videos just like it, audio podcasts, compelling print pieces, all kinds of resources designed to help you on your mental health journey. It's all available at brotherbewell.com. We're a membership supported service. So if you can join us as a member, we get excited when we get new members, but maybe you just want to sign up for our blog. You can do that really quickly and for free. Give us your email address and two or three times a week, you'll get notifications with videos just like this one go live on the platform. Again, all of that's available at brotherbewell.com. My name is Michael P. Coleman. I'm content director for Brother Be Well, asking you to do two quick things for me, if you would. Take great care of yourself and then reach out. Once you get that down, reach out, grab somebody, take care of somebody else too. Till next time, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Brother Be Well podcast. I'm Leon Guidry. Shout out to our sponsor, Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative. It takes a village, and we're doing our part to address and heal trauma while supporting parents and caregivers along the way. Thanks for stopping by, and remember, my brothers, be well.